0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist at the Post. With the war raging in Ukraine and the world wondering if there are diplomatic solutions to this terrible conflict, we're lucky to be joined this morning by one of Washington's most experienced diplomats, the German ambassador to the United States, Emily Haber. Madam Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Post Live.
0: Thank you, David, for having me.
1: Let me begin with today's diplomacy. Uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov met today in Turkey with the Ukrainian Foreign Minister Kuleba. Uh, The talks don't seem to have produced any uh, breakthrough, uh, but they they, they did yield a, a promise uh, from both diplomats to meet again. I'd be interested uh, at the outset in your assessment of, of that meeting today.
0: Well, uh, as you pointed out, uh, there seems to have been no outcome, uh, neither uh, with regard to uh, ending this war, nor with regard uh, to a um, ceasefire or humanitarian corridors. Uh, but there is a pledge uh, that both sides uh, will meet again. Um, That, obviously, is hugely important. We are in a situation and in, if you will, Russian policy environment uh, where decisions are being made made in a very isolated or insulated uh, uh, way. This makes it all the more important that channels exist uh, where you can uh, raise the the voice of uh, reason, pushing for a ceasefire, pushing for an end. uh,
1: to uh, the suffering and the bloodshed. One channel, Madam Ambassador, is the German government. Uh, Your chancellor Olaf Scholz uh, met, uh, I believe yesterday, with President Putin. And I wonder if you could give us a brief summary of their discussion, what your chancellor wanted to say, what he heard back from Putin, and whether that channel is likely to
0: continue. Well, it was not a bilateral, it was a trilateral uh, um, channel. Um, uh, The Chancellor, uh, the French President uh, and Putin uh, um, uh, were involved. So the the objective uh, of this uh, telephone call was to make it blatantly clear how important it is to achieve a ceasefire, uh, to end uh, uh, all the suffering and the the bloodshed, uh, uh, and to then commence uh, negotiations which will, which will happen, uh, which will have to happen between Ukraine and Russia. What the Chancellor and the French President uh, tried to achieve was to break through uh, the uh, wall of uh, isolation and insulation uh, uh, and to uh, underline uh, um, uh, the realities on the ground uh, and how important it was. Uh, Uh, to achieve a ceasefire.
1: You mentioned the isolation uh, that uh, many uh, commentators have said surrounds Russian President uh, Putin. Uh, I I, I take it that the German government would share that analysis and that one purpose of this uh, conversation involving Macron and Schultz is to break through that isolation. Am I putting that uh, correctly?
0: I couldn't put it better.
1: So another channel that I need to ask you about, uh, I I read that your former chancellor Gerhard Schroeder uh, is is planning to meet today in Moscow with Putin. Schroeder is somewhat controversial because he's been very close uh, to uh, the the Kremlin, uh, has played an active role in some of the Russian energy uh, companies. Uh, Is this a, a meeting that has the blessing of the German government? Uh, is it something that you think could could add an another productive channel?
0: I just quote uh, what uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz has said recently. There's one chancellor, and he's called Olaf Scholz. That
1: that makes it clear. I do have to ask before we leave this subject about one more chancellor, a person who has the widest respect um, in the West, and I think in the Kremlin too. Uh, and that's the recently departed Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel. Uh, she uh, maintained a, a steady dialogue with Putin over many years, and, and people have wondered whether she could play a useful role. Understanding your point, there's only one chancellor at, at a time, do you think there's any way that Chancellor Merkel could be in, involved in this process of looking for diplomatic uh, exit ramps, as as the diplomats like to say?
0: Look, uh, David, um, there's not a lack of diplomatic channels. There are countries who have offered uh, their brokering uh, efforts israel has uh, turkey has Uh, we have talked about the uh, contacts that both the french president and the german uh, chancellor have it's not for a lack of uh, diplomatic channels uh, that we don't move forward we don't move forward so far because of a lack of uh, determination or readiness on the russian side uh, to actually move towards a ceasefire
1: well, that that's that's well said, and that that certainly is a good summary of of the meetings to date. Uh, some analysts, uh, uh, Madam Ambassador, have noted what they see as slight differences in the Russian position. That Russia is no longer demanding a NATO guarantee that Ukraine never join, which NATO has absolutely rejected, but has said Russia would be content with the Ukrainian declaration of neutrality. There are several other conditions that they've added, but in general, they seem to some analysts to be less severe, uh, moving in the direction of what might be uh, something that could be discussed than, than was the case before. Does your government share that analysis that there's been a little bit of movement on the Russian side?
0: um so far we haven't seen a movement on the russian side uh, as regards actually taking steps as far as the language is concerned uh, uh, we do see uh, uh, some uh, different nuances i would recall uh, that uh, when um, uh, russia assaulted uh, ukraine uh, the language was uh, this was a war to denazify uh, Uh, Ukraine to demilitarize it, he called the Ukrainian leadership a bunch of uh, drunk addicts and and, uh, Nazis. Now uh, the notion is out there that both presidents might meet. All of that seems to indicate uh, a shift. But uh, again, uh, as the famous adage goes, the test of the pudding comes with the eating. Um, I would also point out that so far, the war has certainly not gone uh, the way that uh, the Russian president will have expected. Uh, It's been bogged down. He certainly doesn't seem to have expected uh, the fierce and resolute uh, and defiant uh, um, Ukrainian uh, resistance. He certainly hasn't expected the degree of unity among allies, not only in the NATO uh, context, but far beyond that countries from Switzerland to Singapore. Uh, have uh, uh, joined in adopting uh, sanctions, and 141 states, and the United Nations, only last week uh, have um, uh, have condemned uh, uh, the uh, the Russian war. So uh, it, it's as it usually is. Once the first shot is being fired, you're in a completely different dynamic, uh, and the dynamic uh, that Russia uh, sees itself confronted with right now. Uh, is a completely different one than the one it had expected to achieve.
1: The uh, footage that we see from Ukraine uh, of people suffering under terrible bombardment and also the images of, of heroic defiance led by Ukraine's President Zelensky have electrified Europe. I just was traveling in Europe over the last week, and I think most of the world. I would ask you, Ambassador, just to briefly describe what effect that's having on the, the, the public in Germany. Uh, Germany is a country that has historically, since 1945, been wary of getting involved in conflict. Uh, has Zelensky ignited a popular feeling in, in ways that you think are, are gonna uh, change uh, Germany's view of, of, of Europe, of Russia, of all these key key variables.
0: Well, David, you mentioned at the outset uh, the sea change uh, uh, that the decisions uh, the German Chancellor, uh, Olaf Scholz, has announced uh, Sunday uh, last week uh, constitutes. And it is, is truly a sea change. It's a sea change in foreign policy, uh, a sea change in, in defence policy, a sea change in defense posture, a sea change in energy uh, policy. I think I, I'd say it's the biggest uh, um, turn uh, um, uh, of events uh, that I have witnessed in my career, I'd say, since uh, uh, reunification. And that was the environment that changed, not necessarily uh, uh, the foreign policy uh, posture. Um, we are now truly in a different universe, uh, if you will, and what triggered it was basically uh, the images of a war, of another war in Europe, uh, of an unprovoked aggression against a sovereign and democratic uh, uh, neighboring country. For a long, if I recall the German uh, discussions, people didn't really think this was even imaginable. And now, what happened uh, and what uh, led to the new decisions in a breakneck speed uh, was um, that memories had been tapped in uh, into. Memories of another war uh, that had been unleashed uh, by Germany, a war of aggression uh, that had produced unspeakable uh, horrors uh, and uh, uh, suffering uh, across the European continent. That would produce the sea change, and that would, uh, what's made uh, uh, the German go- what led the German government to decide uh, that we need to end energy dependence uh, uh, from Russia, uh, that uh, we need to uh, be able to export uh, um, uh, military equipment, uh, including lethal weapons, uh, uh, to U- uh, to Ukraine. That was a true sea change, uh, because for for the longest time. Uh, um, for decades, uh, the German security posture had been defined or what we called a culture of military uh, um, uh, uh, restraint. Um, that has changed. We cannot afford uh, uh, to look away uh, if um, we see a situation where a country is, is being invaded uh, with no, uh, um, <laughs> with No evidence uh, of any justification or or legitimacy, but a pure, uh, um, a a pure objective uh, of power uh, and territorial grab. So that changed. That changed uh, a lot for my country.
1: I want to ask you to break down the elements of that sea change, as you rightly put it. Let's let's start with military spending. Chancellor Schultz has said he's going to modernize Germany's military, spend, uh, the numbers I read, $113 billion uh, to to do that, uh, increase Germany's military readiness, uh, increase Germany's um, uh, contributions to, to NATO, something that presidents, especially Donald Trump, uh, ha- had been requesting. For for years, I want to ask you a a, a direct question. Um, As as you and your government look look back, do you think it's possible that if Germany had stepped up and uh, increased its defense posture earlier, the nightmare that Putin has leashed on Ukraine might have been prevented?
0: Well, um, you will remember that since. Um autumn last year, uh, when uh, we closely observed the military build-up, um, uh, NATO states uh, were aligned in saying uh, that this would uh, um, place a huge price tag uh, uh, on the Russian economy uh, and uh, on the Russian uh, regime. We were very clear about it uh, um, and even though Putin, Putin, the Russian president, exactly knew uh, uh, that any such step would likely uh, lead to a major implosion of the Russian economy. This didn't deter him. Um, He was simply led by what he wanted to achieve, and that is uh, the end to uh, Ukrainian independence, uh, uh, territorial change, uh, structurally uh, subservient uh, Ukraine, uh, I don't believe uh, that defense. Uh, post- earlier decisions on defense postures uh, would have prevented it. Um, as I see it, uh, Putin saw that his time had come. He had probably assumed uh, that uh, the West would be distracted, uh, that the United States would be distracted, that domestic conversations here. Uh, Uh, would make uh, sure of that, uh, that the West would be disunited, uh, that um, European states would shy away from taking tough decisions uh, that would hurt them economically as well. Well, all of this seems to be a a huge uh, uh, miscalculation. So my answer to you is we have taken the decision uh, late. Uh, Previous Russian presidents, and many of them, um, had called upon Germany before. to invest more into its defense. But uh, mind you, what is um, what is often overlooked here is that the German defense budget since 2014 uh, until today has already grown by 60% and our budget uh, is already the largest uh, on the uh, European continent. But we're going to go far beyond that and we're going to make sure, and it will be enshrined in the German constitution that we will uh, Um, that our contribution uh, um, to the defense budget uh, will be more than 2% every year.
1: You mentioned, uh, Madam Ambassador, the role that President Biden played going back to October, November in um, sharing with uh, our European allies the information the U.S. was gathering about Russia's uh plans not simply to hold an exercise on the border of ukraine but to invade i want to ask you how you would uh, evaluate president biden the biden administration's role as a as a leading voice in the transatlantic alliance what kind of grade would you give the biden team um
0: the cooperation and the transparency and the information sharing uh, uh, and the degree uh, of uh, um, uh, engaging uh, in exchanges uh, couldn't have been better. We really worked in lockstep all the time. Um, we knew what the Americans were seeing. They shared shared it with us. We shared uh, what we knew uh, with them. Uh, we may, at times, uh, um, have not reached the same conclusions, because it's one thing to see evidence, uh, and it's another thing, uh, um, if you don't have evidence of a decision uh, that has been taken, uh, to infer from the evidence uh, what the likelihood of future actions uh, will be. Um, but the, the degree of cooperation uh, and of uh, working-handed glove. Uh, and of making sure that we were always on the same page. Uh, um, The degree of preparation of uh, uh, sanctions, uh, that has been unprecedented and was excellent. And mind you, we've been working on sanctions since, I guess, um, um, early January. We wouldn't have been able, uh, after uh, the uh, um, recognition uh, of the Donbas uh, region, Uh, or the outbreak of uh, uh, the war, after the aggression, uh, um, we would not have been able to actually take decision uh, overnight uh, and translate them into uh, um, legislation immediately. That really happened at an incredible speed. And that was only the case uh, because uh, the preparatory work uh, had been done uh, because there had been already uh, an unprecedented uh, degree of alignment, sense of urgency and sense of purpose. So I believe uh, the way we confronted uh, um, first the threat uh, and then the aggression uh, speaks volumes uh, uh, about uh, uh, the um, resolution, uh, the determination uh, um, uh, and uh, the uh, uh, sense of community of the alliance.
1: You mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Madam Ambassador, as part of the sea change in German policy, the German desire for energy independence uh, from uh, Russia. Uh, Germany has uh, stopped uh, construction of the Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline as as part of that. As you know, the United States uh, announced a a further step, uh, this week, uh, President Biden said, we're not gonna buy any Russian energy products. It's easier for the United States to say that than it is for Germany. But I wanna ask you two, two questions. First, is Germany considering such uh, a move to, to stop buying Russian energy? A- and if Russian energy were cut off, either by your decision or perhaps more likely, Russia's refusal to sell, what would be the effect on Germany and on Europe which depends so much on Russian natural gas in particular?
0: You're right in saying uh, that the decision uh, to cut off oil exports from Russia is easier for the United States. In the uh, energy mix uh, for the United States it's about uh, 7%. So that's Fairly minor, and you can easily replace it. Uh, the oil market, uh, after uh, after all, is a global one. The situation is different uh, in Europe, in particular in Germany, but not only in Germany. Um, in Germany, out of the energy mix, 55 uh, percent of our gas comes from Russia, 50 percent of the coal comes from Russia, and 35 percent of uh, uh, of uh, oil uh, comes from Russia. There's some European countries where one hundred percent of the gas uh, comes from uh, uh, from Russia. Uh, the The volumes are not comparable, but the dependence uh, is even greater. So, in that environment and context, uh, you cannot easily take a decision uh, to stop uh, uh, the ex- uh, the imports of oil gas or coal uh, overnight. Uh, um, we will. Uh, um, We will cut off the dependence, we will reverse uh, our policies, but it can't happen overnight, it will take some time. And when I talked about uh, the alignment uh, um, uh, earlier on, uh, um, that includes uh, understanding uh, of all partners concerned uh, for specific predicaments uh, and uh, at times uh, different avenues uh, to pursue goals. And look, if... We were, and you asked about the possible consequences. Uh, if we were to cut off uh, all imports uh, of fossil fuels uh, uh, overnight, it would certainly have a huge impact uh, on the entirety of Europe. It would have an impact uh, on Germany, no doubt. It would have uh, an impact on uh, other major European uh, economies, uh, such as Italy. It would certainly have a huge impact on countries uh, that depend 100% uh, on, uh, on Russian uh, gas. And you cannot surgically isolate uh, the effects uh, of um, um, a surge of uh, prices uh, on the global uh, energy markets. Uh, that would certainly occur. Um, that's, there's no doubt about that. There would be major uh, and they would probably spill over, uh, in all likelihood, spill over uh, to other areas. Look, already now we see uh, huge uh, price increases uh, uh, in uh, in coal, 70% uh, on the global markets, uh, on um, uh, rare materials, price increase of 10% of foodstuffs. Look at wheat. Uh, the um, price increase of wheat uh, is some, I think, 20% uh, because Russia has about 25% of the world production and it's all interconnected. So if we decide uh, um, uh, to um, um, uh, to hit Russia hard uh, by sanctions and exacting a price uh, uh, for uh, an aggression, then we better uh, we had better look very closely at the unintended consequences uh, uh, of uh, these actions, uh, limit them, contain them. Uh, And never forget the fact uh, that it's not only about us. Uh, There's also the wider picture uh, uh, of much more vulnerable uh, countries in in the third world uh, uh, that already now uh, see the effects uh, uh, of global inflation.
1: One of our viewers, uh, Madam Ambassador, uh, Jared from Washington State, asks a question very bluntly, and I'll just put it to you in in jared's words is it possible for europe to function without russian oil and gas what's a simple answer to that direct question
0: Uh, it is at great costs that will not be containable um, and it will be possible to function but uh, not uh, today and not tomorrow Uh, it will require um, uh, very few but very few
1: in the time we have left, I want to make sure that we speak about one of the the most uh, uh, tragic aspects of what's happening, and that's the humanitarian crisis. We've all seen the, the pictures of desperate families, uh, children sobbing as they flee Ukraine and seek uh, safety. Uh, I, I want to ask you, uh, numbers now Estimate: One point seven million Ukrainians have left their country. Many have gone to, to Poland. What is Germany uh, doing uh, to assist on this uh, refugee uh, humanitarian uh, crisis? Maybe you could just briefly outline us uh, that for us.
0: The IOM even assumes that numbers are higher, well, be- uh, well above two point two million. Although. Uh, um, You you will only be uh, certain uh, uh, in hindsight, because obviously many of the refugees who can travel into Europe uh, uh, um, visa-free will not be registered immediately. But the numbers are huge. Um, And specifically affected uh, are countries like Poland uh, and uh, Romania, uh, countries in Eastern uh, Europe, but Germany too. So far, uh, we assume uh, that's um, um, over 80,000 Ukrainian refugees have uh, come to Germany. They will be welcome. Uh, uh, they will have a residence permit uh, uh, due to uh, regulation on mass influx uh, that had been adopted back in the years of the Balkan Wars. Uh, they will have immediate uh, residence permit and uh, a working permit. Uh, Uh, um, for uh, three years, that's extendable. Uh, So there's no doubt. uh, uh, And uh, the government has stated that uh, publicly, that every um, Ukrainian refugee coming to Germany will be welcome.
1: We have another viewer question that that speaks to this. You partially answered uh, this question already, I think, but Thomas Bullock, who watches uh, our, our show from Florida, asks, will Germany accept immigrants from Ukraine without visas and give temporary citizenship? Is that, is that a, a fair description of what's being offered or not?
0: Not temporary citizenship, uh, but temporary uh, residence, uh, um, uh, three-year residence, uh, which is extendable should the war uh, uh, continue.
1: So uh, a final question. We have just over a minute left, uh, Madam Ambassador. Uh, This has been a a period in which the strength of the transatlantic alliance has been evident and you've credited President Biden for his leadership. Are you and other uh, leading members of the German government and indeed the German public uh, confident that this uh, America prepared to lead Ah, uh, work closely with its European allies is back for good. Do you worry that we could return to a, a President Trump or a president like Trump, uh, who wants to keep his distance from Europe?
0: I look at the facts and the evidence of facts, and the evidence of facts show me America is back.
1: Well, that's a that's a hopeful note uh, for the for the moment. Certainly, this is a a time when when the world needs a strong America and a strong. German-American partnership, and you've expressed all the details of that. I want to thank Emily Haber, the German ambassador to Washington, for joining us uh, this morning for this discussion. Thank you, Madam Ambassador.
0: Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.